welcome to God Still Speaks Through Jackasses. In this episode, we're going to begin looking at how the modern pop evangelical church in North America replicates the late medieval Roman Catholic Church. And this week, it is tithing. It is penance. It's the notion that the church needs your money in order that God may act and move and do his will. So buckle your seatbelts because... You're in for a ride here, and if you're anything like me, this is just one more confirmation that the church needs another reformation. I may fall dead brown, deep and furrow brown, uncanny and so clever, it's our newest plan ever. Got tired of whining, got a scheme with silver lining for every boy and girl. Can't be responsible. Thanks, as always, to Eric and Polly Rapp for the use of their tune, Hey Preacher Men. Please check out these wonderful artists at www.ericandpollyrapp.com. That's Eric and Polly, R-A-P-P.com. Thank you to Michael Almquist and Five Iron Frenzy for the use of their tune, My Evil Plan to Save the World. Check out what's happening with Five Iron at www.fiveironfrenzy.com. Thanks to Greg Mann for the use of his tune, Time is Money, the one you're hearing right now. Check out all of Greg's wonderful work on all the major music outlets, including iTunes and Amazon. Just search for Greg, that's 1G, Mann, that's M-A-N-N, two N's, or follow Greg on Facebook. We also want to let everyone know that our featured artist here at God Still Speaks Through Jackasses, Cody F. Miller, has an all-new website at www.codyfmiller.com where you can order Cody's prints right online, and I would encourage you to do so. He's got some wonderful work there. Thank you, Cody, for letting us use your piece entitled Balaam. Please check out Cody's work, and again, place your order for your print or original at CodyFMiller.com. And as ever, thanks to Gene Tally. If you're looking for ministry coaching of pure awesomeness, please contact Gene at RevTally. That's R-E-V-T-A-L-L-E-Y at gmail.com. Hey, okay. Your time is money, honey. All my time I'm going to spend on first way that we put God first in the area of our finances is the tithe, 10% of our gross income. And we believe that what the Bible says in Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 is true, that if we will put God first with the tithe, that he will bless us. In fact, the Bible says he will open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on us that we won't have room enough for it. We believe that and we believe it to the point that we are challenging you 
to take our 90-day tithe challenge. And in 90 days, if you don't feel like God has blessed you, if you don't feel like God has done what His Word has said, and if you believe God's a liar, then here's what we'll do. We'll refund every dime that you gave during that 90-day period. No questions asked. When we talk about finances, what I want to share with you today is a message called The Principles of Multiplication. The Principles of Multiplication. And there are two from this passage. Multiplication is a mathematical term. And think about this. We've, we've experienced math in our finances for. For instance, we've experienced addition. We've gotten a raise or a bonus or something. We've experienced subtraction sometimes in our finances. Unfortunately, we've also experienced division sometimes as well. But wouldn't it be great if we could experience multiplication in our finances? In other words, that God blesses us and there's an exponential component to our finances. I've been playing this game with God for 38 years. God says, Rick, you give to me and I'll give to you and we'll see who wins. I have lost that game every year for 38 years. I dare you to trust God. I dare you to trust God with your money. You trust Him with your salvation, you don't even trust in the tithe. Who are you kidding? You don't trust Him with your money, you don't trust Him. The Bible says, if you are not faithful with unrighteous mammon, who will give you the true riches of God? Do you know why God chose me to write the best-selling book in American history? Because He knew what I'd do with the money. He said, well, man, if I made millions of dollars, I'd give it all away to... No, you wouldn't, because you're not giving away now. I had a track record of 38 years of generosity when I couldn't afford it. And God knew it. He knew He could trust my... I had a 38-year track record. Faithful and little, faithful and much. This is what many people do. Many people give a little here and give a little there, but they don't have the blessing of God on their finances, and they don't have God's blessing because Jesus hasn't blessed it. How would we know Jesus blessed it? According to Hebrews 7, the Bible says that Jesus himself receives our tithe and blesses it. The Bible says that when we tithe, that means give the first 10% of your income to the church, not to a university, not to a school, not to a charity, but to the church where you are being fed. And I go into all this detail in the, in the book. I don't have time to go into all the detail. It's clear in Scripture that it's to go to the local church where you're being fed the first 10% of your income. Here's what the Bible says. When you give the first 10%, the tithe of your income to the church, Jesus himself receives our tithe and blesses it. It gives it the ability, our finances, ability to be blessed and protected. Malachi says, listen, when you open, he says this, test me. Test me. It's the only place in the Bible that says you can test God. He says, test me and bring the tithe in the storehouse and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing there will not be room enough to receive it. In other words, you have to give more. And, then it goes, and, it's kind of like, if you call right now, <laughs> and... I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. The devourer is Satan. He says, I'm going to rebuke the enemy from stealing. So now, he says, don't ever test me except in this. When it comes to your money, my money, but we'll call it yours to make you feel a little better. When it comes to the money I've given to you, I want you to try me out. Bring it. time for you to bring the tithe.
Test me. Normally God's the one doing the testing. Here he says, I'm so confident in what I'm about to tell you. I wish you would. I wish you would just give me a chance to bless you. He says, if you do it, I'll give, I'll give you so much back that you won't have room enough to store it. Listen, just from a business point of view, that's a good deal for 10%. To have God rebuking the devil for you. And, and he says, test me. I've, I've told our whole church on many occasions, I've said, you tithe for one year. If you are not fully satisfied, I'll give you your money back. Now, now how can I do that? Because God's words. God's word says it. And I, I'm telling you here, I'm telling you, you tithe for one year. If you are not fully satisfied, Pastor Rick will give you your money back. <laughs> Please hear me. Try it before you knock it. Give God the first. Here's what the Bible says, that when we give the tithe to God, it redeems our finances out from under the curse. Malachi says you're cursed because you're not tithing. You're under curse. I want you to understand something. God is not cursing you. God is not cursing you if you don't tithe. We live in a cursed world. God is saying, listen, you're living in this cursed financial system. I would like to redeem your finances, protect your finances from this world system. The only way I can do it, though, is if you will recognize me first every time you get paid. If you will give me the tithe, I will redeem the rest of your finances out from under the curse. And 90% with God's blessing will go farther than 100% without I promise you. I honestly believe that 90% with the blessings of God goes further than 100% without the blessings of God. 90% with His blessings goes further than 100% without. Now here's the deal. It takes faith to give to God first. To give God 10%, it takes faith to give first. If we give what's left over, it doesn't take faith at all. In fact, that's how God gave to us. The Bible says while we were still sinners, He sent Jesus. God gave by faith even before we accepted the grace of His Son. The Bible teaches us to give by faith. In fact, Scripture is very, very clear in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Here's what the Bible says. God says, I'm so sure of this, I want you to test me. You don't believe me? Put it to the test. Cut 10% out of your pie and give it to me, God says. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. That's how good God is. The tithe, it teaches us to trust God and prioritize our life around Him. We will be intentional givers. We will intentionally return to God what's already God's. So number one, it has to be blessed before it can multiply. And here's what the Lord said to me. I only say to extravagant givers, ask anything you want. He said, I would never say that to a selfish person because I couldn't trust a selfish person. But I can trust givers. Lord, what are you saying to me through this message? And for some of you, God is saying, I want you to tithe. Not give to this charity in here. And you can give over and above. I want you to give the first 10% of your income to Saddleback, to the church where you're being fed, where you're being pastored. Try it, please. And, and many of you have struggled for years with tithing. But let me say something. You'll never be able to afford to tithe until you tithe. 
Can you hear that? You'll never be able to afford to tithe until you tithe because tithing is what removes the curse. Is that I want to pour into your life and use you as a conduit. But when you hold on to what's mine, I can't get it. Now you can hold on to that. You can hold on to that. Or you could open your hands. Now, now close your hands again. The problem is, Delaney, you have no idea how many dimes I brought to church with me. And it would be a shame for you to miss out on everything I can give you. Now open your hand. Open it. Open it. Open it. Give it. Give it. Give it. And I'll fill it. Now give it. And I'll fill it. Now give it. And I'll fill it. Now give it. And I'll fill it. And give it. And I'll fill it. Now get both hands out. I'll fill it. I'll fill it. I'll fill it. Now give it. I'll fill it. I'll fill it. I'll fill it. Now give it. I'll fill it. I'll fill it. Not just with money. I'll fill it with peace. I'll fill it with purpose. I'll fill it with joy. I'll fill it with hope. I use your life. You can make a difference. Just open your hands to me and see what I can do. Test me. Number 10, when I give, I get to open my hands to a God who will not be outgiven. God says, I'm so sure of this, I want you to test me. You don't believe me? Put it to the test. Cut 10% out of your pie and give it to me, God says. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. That's how good God is. The tithe, it teaches us to trust God and prioritize our life around Him. We will be intentional givers. We will intentionally return to God what's already God's. Are you eating the tithe like Adam and Eve did? Are you spending the tithe on a boat? Hunting lease? Are you, are you wasting the tithe? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says... If you touch the devoted stuff, you're under a curse. So, a long time ago, I thought to myself, okay, Ed, you either bring the 10% to the house and the other 90% is blessed, or you play God and say, you know what? I'm going to do with the money what I want to do and live under a curse. Let me see. Blessing or cursing? I'll take blessing. I'll take blessing. And you wonder why your marriage is stoned? You wonder why your kid's future is stoned? You wonder why your career is stoned? You wonder why you can't get your head above water? You wonder why you don't have joy? You wonder why you deal with greed? You wonder why you all get messed up with envy? You wonder, you wonder, you wonder. It's all about the money. It's all about the money. You don't get it. Please hear me. God's the one that said that. 80% of you are robbing God. 20% of Fellowship Church pays for everything. 20% pays for it all. We're just operating on 20%. Only 20% are bringing the tithe. Only 20% are living in the land of more 
than enough. And this is true all over the world. <laughs> i got to ask you, <laughs> serious, why are you even coming to church if you're not bringing the tithes? Seriously, what, what, what are you expecting? <laughs> Just hang out at home, man. Play golf. So we don't need to be here. What, what, what are you expecting, man? Are you crazy? You ain't gonna get anything. It's not gonna happen. You're spitting in the wind. The law of devoted things. What if I brought every man up here and had you give account of your wealth? What if I did what Joshua did? Anybody want to anybody do that? Come on, Sage, talk about your finances. Anybody here want to talk about your devoted stuff? I want to help you get blessed. Now, hopefully you understand when I say get blessed, I don't mean you begin to bring the divine portion to the storehouse and you're going to become a multi-squillionaire. I'm not saying that. Some of you will. I said some of you will going to build his church. What did Jesus say? I will build my church. Well, he's going to make a lot of us a lot of money. I'm talking about God. Because if he knows he can get it through us, he'll get it to us. But the problem is God wants to bless a lot of you. You're in the Jordan River. In your floaties. Splashing around, thinking a mission trip will do it, thinking another Bible study will do it, thinking serving in the church will do it, thinking prayer will do it. It's all about the money. It's all about the money. Show me the money. God said that thousands of years ago. Malachi chapter 3 verses 8 through 10. Will a man rob God? Hey, if you're a tither sitting next to a non-tither, this dude is robbing God. Also, this dude will rob you, so watch your wallet. Because if he'll rob God, he'll rob you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. God's not going to give it to you if you don't have a storehouse. You can't church hop, shop, bop, bebop. Expect God to bless you. Again, it's not going to happen. You're wasting your time, my time. You're taking up space here. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Oh, I want to chase a blessing. Oh, I'm going to this conference. Oh, I'm going to this person. She'll, she'll bless me. I'm going over here. He'll bless me. I want to get blessed. I want to get blessed. I want to get blessed. I don't do that. Blessings are chasing me. Blessings are chasing me down, man. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't run somewhere to get blessed. Hey, don't take a snapshot of my life today and build a theology on me. Oh, no, 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 no. You look back 29 years ago when I was making $25,000 a year. At least now we're first married. Broken down house and car, bringing the tithe. I make a lot more than that now. And I'm still bringing the tithe, more than the tithe. So don't take a picture of me and build a theology. 
You're just seeing the results of 29 years of faithfulness right up here on this stage. I'm telling you, man, this stuff works. And most guys are not man enough to step up and fight the war on wealth. You'll waste your energy watching some game. You'll waste your energy on some hunting trip. You'll waste your energy watching UFC or lifting weights or whatever. It's time to lead. Your woman wants you to lead. Stand up and be a man and bring the tide and see how God blesses you. You won't believe it. You have no clue. You have no idea. And you know what? If you don't like this, just don't come back. Because I'm preaching to you what the Bible says about money. And if you don't dig it, leave. And here's what, I don't care if you make 10000 a year or $100 million, You bring the devoted things to God, He'll bless the rest. If you don't, you're under a curse. It's as simple as that. Now, before you think these guys are just crazy kook televangelists, this montage, it's, it's the heavy hitters. It's the heavy hitters of pop American evangelicalism, including Rick Warren, Robert Morris, who has recently spoke at Rick Warren's Saddleback Church, Perry Noble, Stephen Furtick, Craig Groeschel, Ed Young Jr. All of these guys are very recognizable figures in the evangelical word, world. I'm sure all of us have heard the old saw, it is better to give than to receive. And while that may be true, fortunately, and I would say very fortunately, most Americans have the common sense and the freedom to refuse to give their hard-earned money to the church these days. Indeed, most Christians who attend church give very little of their income as a percentage to the church. According to a recent article by Relevant Magazine, as little as 10% of North American Christians, this is the Christians, give their tithe, their 10% to the church. That 10% is commonly referred to, like I said, as the tithe or the tenth. And most Christians don't give it. Now, you heard me say that I think this is a fortunate circumstance. In fact, if you rewind and play back what I said, it's a very fortunate circumstance it's being transferred it's not what you said you said he was being transferred because he was in grave danger that's correct you but said I, he was in danger i said grave danger you said is there i any recall other? what i, I said i can have the court reporter read back to you i know what i said i don't have to have it read back to me like i'm writing two orders the reason this is a quote fortunate circumstance is because the motivations and methods uses and purposes of quote the tithe in popular North American evangelical churches is of a very nefarious nature. In fact, I would more quickly compare the tithe these days to Johann Tetzel's papal indulgences. Yeah, that's right. Um, than the New Testament model of giving of our financial resources to the local church. Compare the opening montage, that big long string of guys that are big evangelical heavy hitters, to these words of Paul. St. Paul teaches us, Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers, so that our boasting about you may not prove to be empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you. 
for being so confident. So, I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you to arrange in advance for the gift you had promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not an an extraction. Let me say that again. As a willing gift, not an extraction. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your Submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now, never mind that if we were really to follow the tithe principles of the Jewish law code, which actually totals anywhere from 24 to 40% of a person's income versus the principle that Paul is trying to teach here in 2 Corinthians, the fact, you know, the, 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 the just give out of a generous heart. We compare that to the fact that most popular North American evangelicals will teach some form of giving in order to receive. And this really is the major issue here. But before we get to all of that, we better take a look at a passage at this passage because it's it's often abused by so many, especially uh, word faith teachers, in order to separate you from your cash. All right, for starters, the punchline to this passage is verse seven. Each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I am convinced that's the central verse of this passage. Knowing this will help us to order the entire passage here from Paul. So when we look back at, say, verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully, we'll never get the idea that if we give, we will receive. All right, we will never get that idea from Paul's words here. Okay, so let's take that one. First of all, I'm convinced that the scriptures must stand up to the scrutiny of existential experience. Okay, they're not based on our experience. Not at all. But they've got to stand up to that scrutiny. And all that means is is whatever scripture says, it's got to play out in reality. It's got to make sense in our lives. And this is what's so convoluted about all this tithe talk that's going on these days. It doesn't play out in reality. Like many of you, I, I give a percentage of my income to my local church. And I have yet to find that when I give my money to the church that I miraculously find an amount equal to or double to or triple to what I gave all of a sudden just plop down in my bank account. What I've always found is that whatever amount I gave, say it was $500, 
That amount, when the check hits the bank, is deducted from my account. So I have $500 less than what I had before. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. I haven't found that my financial circumstances overall have have improved because I've given my money. Nothing's really changed long-term in in the sense of my financial circumstances. All I know is, is that I give my money to my local church and it's gone and they use it. Okay, and I'm glad for them to do that. Otherwise, I wouldn't give it to them. I want them to take it. I want them to use it and that's it. There's no blessing for me. There's no ordering of my finances. None of that. Okay. Um, and I, you know, my, I just haven't found that my life is any more particularly blessed than it was before I started giving to the church. What I have found is that, you know, like I said before, I have exactly less money than I gave to the church. If I gave the $500, you know what? My bank account is $500 short than it was before. So, what is Paul, Paul trying to get out here when he says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also, also reap bountifully? Well, without getting too heavy into the nitty-gritty, the you know, real uh, detailed exegesis of this passage, Paul, in each and every line of this passage, is exhorting his audience to give with an open hand. All right Now, we heard Ferdick talk about the open hand, but that's not what I'm talking about here. When a person goes out to sow his crop, if he is reluctant to plant the seed for some reason, all right, this, this, is, this is the analogy Paul is giving, um, or someone is forcing him to plant more seeds than he wants to, then, he, then that farmer is going to start to worry over his sowing. And, he's, and, and angst is sure to follow. So if I say follow uh, Word Faith Teacher's advice, uh, T.D. Jakes, and give a bunch of money, as a seed offering, hope, hoping that later on I'm going to reap bountifully, all that's going to happen is I'm going to begin to worry about my money even more than I did before I gave the, quote, seed offering. I mean, this makes complete sense. If I go out and buy a car I can't afford, then financial stress is going to ensue. If I give more money to the church or to the poor or whatever than I, than I calculate that I can actually afford, then I'm going to worry about my pocketbook more. Instead, Paul suggests that you look at your circumstances, plan what you can afford to give, and then give it with an open hand. No strings attached. No, well, you must give this amount and no less. Otherwise, God won't bless you. Um, you must do this thing, that, or the other thing. No. Paul says, look at what you can do, plan to do it, and then do it. And that's it. And that's all. And the bounty, where the bounty comes from, is the peace of mind and in the, in the goodwill we have when we contribute to Christ's church. And that's it. There's no promises of blessing. There's no ordering of finance. There's, there's none of this. It's just, look at what you can do, Plan to do it, and then do it. That's it. I mean, for some of us, that might be one-tenth of one percent of our income. For some of us, it might be half of our income. For some of us, it might be 90%. Like Rick Warren. He gives 90%. Good for him. He sat down. He's figured out that he can afford to give 90%. He's decided to give 90%, and then he gave it. Fantastic. Praise be to God for that. Okay? But that doesn't somehow bless him or um, get him a book deal any more than anything else does. Okay, that's not 
how any of this works. In fact, I'm convinced that Paul is teaching us here that the New New Testament principle uh, that he's giving to the church is just simply that. Okay, it's not this, oh, you've got to give this 10%. And really, if you listen to them, they really are talking pre-tax. That's, that's the bare minimum. you got to give this 10%. No, the principle that Paul is giving us here in the New Testament is that you sit down and decide what you're going to give, plan to give it, and then give it cheerfully and consistently, whatever the amount is. And what's more, give it expecting nothing to come back to you. Not even like the like feeling good, oh, I gave my money. No, don't expect anything. Expect the only blessing that will be had in this transaction is the person who receives your money. That's the one that's going to be blessed. And make no mistake, when you give money to your local church, the person receiving your money most often will be, when you give to the local church, this might come as a shock to some of you, but the person that's going to get that money is the pastor. I mean, of any business out there, the biggest expense they have is payroll. And most likely, when you write your check out to the church, the pastor is going to get the majority of that money or the pastoral staff. All right. And then the rest of it's going to go to the building. That's it. That's all. That's where your money's going. All right. Now, I know churches give to charitable causes and that sort of thing, and that's great. But as a percentage, these are going to still be very low percentages. And then as we're going to see later... Um, even big time uh, New Spring Church where Perry Noble is the pastor and we're going to take a look at one of his sermons um, the overwhelming majority of the money goes to the pastoral staff and to the building and that's it and very little of it goes to anything else so don't fool yourself into thinking that what you're giving to is something grand and special and is doing this no it's going to pay the pastor's salary the pastoral staff salary it's going to keep the building open that's what it's going to. And I'm not saying that these things are unnecessary or unneeded. These things are needed to have the gospel proclaimed, and we should give our money to them. No question about it. But don't delude yourself into thinking that that you're giving to some grand purpose that's blah, blah, blah. No. Decide that, hey, what your local church is doing is worth it, and then contribute to it. That's it. All right. Now, contrast all of this. Our contemporary pop evangelical friends here with one John Johann Tetzel of the 16th century. Tetzel was a Dominican friar who was accredited with, accredited with the statement, when a coin in the coffer rings a soul from purgatory springs, right? Just kind of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Tetzel was charged by the, ch- the church in Rome to sell papal indulgences, and indulgences were papal sanctions that you that were used as penance for sin. In other words, after you confessed all your sin, and I do mean all <laughs> uh, of your sins, to the priest and showed the proper contrition for the sins, then you were given a list of penances to be performed. Sometimes they're like, oh, did you say Hail Marys or do this and that and the other thing? Most of the time it was penance. Give money. And then your sins, after that's done, icing's on the cake, your sins are forgiven for the most part. And there are all kinds of sins. There's mortal sins, venial sins. Da, da, da. Anyway, this was supposed to cover your sins. Anyway, most of the time, one of those penances, like I said, was in the form of indulgences. You were to surrender a certain amount of money to the church and um, went into the coffers as a condition 
for the forgiveness of your sins. Tetzel took this concept to an entirely new level, all right? In order to sell more indulgences, and Tetzel did bring a good shot of cash to the church in Rome uh, from the the province of Germany, um, Tetzel began to teach that if a person would give their money in in this way as as indulgences, they could lessen the time of their loved ones who had died and who were in purgatory. All right, sounds insane, right? But this is what we're being taught these days, and and I'm convinced of it. It's in and the bottom line is it's the message of give to get, and we've seen it all along so far from these from these sound bites and and um, and whatnot that we've heard. So here, check this out is a sermon from our friend Tetzel. Now pay cl- close attention to this. I think you'll find, as I have, that the thrust of the sermon eerily replicates the kind of preaching. Uh, on, on giving and tithing uh, to the church that we hear from pop evangelicals in our day and time. And here's the sermon. It goes like this. What are you thinking about? Why do you hesitate to convert yourself? Why don't you have fears about your sins? Why don't you confess now to the vicars of our most holy pope? Don't you have the example of Lawrence? who, compelled by the love of God, gave away his inheritance and suffered his body to be burned? Why do you not take the example of Bartholomew, Stephen, and of other saints who gladly suffered this most gruesome death for the sake and salvation of their souls? You, however, do not give up great treasures. Indeed, you do not give even moderate alms. They gave their bodies to be martyred, but you delight in living well and joyfully. You priest, nobleman, merchant, wife, virgin, you married people, young person, old man, enter into your church, which is for you, as I have said, St. Peter's, and visit the most holy cross. It has been placed there for you, and it always cries and calls for you. Are you perhaps ashamed to visit the cross with a candle, and yet not ashamed to visit a tavern? Are you ashamed to go to the apostolic confessor, but not ashamed to go to a dance? Behold, you are on a raging sea of the world, in storm and danger, not knowing if you will safely reach the harbor of salvation. Do you not know that everything which man hangs on is on a thin thread, and that all of life is but a struggle on earth? Let us then fight as St. Lawrence and the other saints, for the day is well, but ill tomorrow, tomorrow alive and tomorrow dead. You should know that all who confess and in penance put alms into the coffer according to the counsel of the confessor will obtain complete remission of their sins. If they visit after confession and after the jubilee, the cross and the altar every day, they will receive that indulgence, which will be theirs upon visiting in St. Peter's, the seven altars, where complete indulgence is offered. Why are are you then standing there? Run for the salvation of your souls. Be as careful and concerned for the salvation of your souls as you are for your temporal goods, which you seek both day and night. Seek the Lord while he may be found and while he is near. Work, as St. John says, while it is yet day, for the night comes when no man can work. Don't you hear the voices of your wailing dead parents and others who say, Have mercy on us. Have mercy upon us, because we are in severe punishment and pain. From this you could redeem us with a small alms, and yet you do not want to do so. Open your ears to the Father, and say to the Son, and the Mother, and the Daughter, We have created you, fed you, cared for you, 
and left you our temporal goods. Why then are you so cruel and harsh that you do not want to save us, though it only takes a little... It only takes. <laughs> I'm not, sorry, I did interrupt the, the the monologue here. It just reminds me so much. It only takes that little ten percent, and you can have all of these things, right? Reminds you of the evangelicals. Reminds me of the evangelicals. Anyway, let me continue. You let us lie in flames, so that we only slowly come to the promised glory. You may have letters which let you have once in life and in the hour of death full remission of the punishment which belongs to sin. Oh, those of you with vows, you usurers, robbers, murderers, and criminals, now is the time to hear the voice of God. He does not want the death of a sinner, but that he may convert, be converted and live. Convert yourselves then, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, to the Lord thy God. Oh, you blasphemers, you gossipers who hinder this work openly or secretly, what about your affairs? You are outside the fellowship of the church. Ooh, boy, that sounds really familiar to what... We've listened to you from some of these folks about uh, being blessed and about what it means to be near to God. You are outside the fellowship of the church. It's particularly poignant, I think, is Ed Young Jr.'s statement. Um, Just get out and don't come back if you're not going to give. Very interesting comparison to him and Tetzel here. Tetzel continues, no masses, no sermons, prayers, sacraments, or intercession help you. No field, vineyards, trees, or cattle bearing fruit or wine for you. Even spiritual things vanish, as many as illustration could point out. Convert yourself with all your heart and use the medicine of which the book of wisdom says. The Most High has made medicine out of the earth and a wise man will not reject it. And we're going to hear some very eerie comparisons here coming up. In a recent sermon entitled, The Church Just Wants Your Money, Pastor Perry Noble, who is the pastor of, I believe, the largest Southern Baptist church in North America at this time, teaches essentially the same concept that Tetzel taught his people. Of course, Noble's teaching is wrapped up in a nice contemporary language, and it's surrounded by all the trappings of American pop culture, but it is the same message nonetheless. Let's take a listen to a portion of it. Would have had to hike or come or travel at least a day, minimum a day, max a week to get there. All of them would have had water with them. And so when Elijah was challenging these people, the reason he did it three times is he had to call for commitment three times because most people don't commit the first time. The first time... Okay, right, yeah, so we got a little mini-sermon critique going on here, and Perry's off to a blazing start. This is nowhere in the text. I've never seen this in the commentary. And um, just a little note, if you're a pastor out there and you're listening to this, um, if you come up with something, even though you've got a friend, Arye, over in Israel that might tell you that this is the right thing to do, if you come up with something... And um, it doesn't square with any commentary that's been ri- written in 2,000 years. You might want to question what you've come up with. I mean, you, it's possible you've come up with a new insight, but probably not. All right. The punchline of First Kings 18 is not at all where the water came from or the, the fact that, uh, you know, there was a call for, you know, that sort of thing. 
there's nothing of the sort going on here. This is about it. This is a display of who the true God is. It has nothing to do with tithing, which is what Perry Noble is going to twist this into. And he's going to start it off with saying that Elijah called, had an altar call for three offerings of water here when water was rare. Okay. Wrong. Completely wrong. I mean, there's no evidence of this in the text, the history behind it. Um, the lexic, the lexicography, nothing. All right. He's, he's running on a source, um, from this friend of his REA over in Israel, um, really focused on where this water came from and that it was actually this big offering that the people poured out. It really is not the point of this passage. He said, Hey, Basically, you guys have tried Baal. You've tried the system of the world. The system of the world does not work. So why don't you surrender to God? And there was one group that came forward, and there were two groups that stood back. Yep, no, not at all. That's not what the text, there's nothing in the text of 1 Kings 18 that indicates this at all, that one group came forward. All that happened was, and um, I actually, I wrote a paper, a couple of papers on this in seminary. So I'm, I'm pretty familiar with First Kings 18. There's nothing of the sort here. And I scrutinized it from both sides, from the, quote, conservative side and the liberal side. Um, there's really nothing going on here with the, with the cause of three, other than there was a lot of water. Yes, which was rare. And it is a good question to ask, where did the water come from? Um, but it's a superfluous question, honestly, in the context of, of what's happening here. Um, all this really getting ready to be demonstrated is the fact that the Lord God, Yahweh, is the one true God. All right? And in order to demonstrate that, um, Elijah is pouring water over his offering in order to demonstrate that the fire that's getting ready to come down is an all-consuming fire, which is confirmed to us by Hebrews. Our God is a consuming fire, right? So the notion that um, Elijah called, made a call for an offering of water from the people here is, um, is bogus. It's not in the text. It's not indicated. It's a complete eisegesis and reading into what Perry Noble hopes is in this text, and it's not here at all. And after that first group, he said, you know what, I'm unapologetically telling you. Some of you are holding out on God, and you need to come forward, and you need to pour out your offering right now, and then a few more people moved. But then okay, take note of that phrase, unapologetic, because that's going to come back into play here pretty quick, um, with actually Perry Noble putting himself in the place of the prophet. All right. And um, this whole notion of holding out on God as if God needs something from us to do something. That is, the, that is one of the major problems with this entire teaching is that, is that we have got to open our hands to God. We're the ones who initiate the action in all these things. And that, man, that is such a false, that is such a heresy to think that we are the ones who have to open our hands to God, as Stephen Furtick put it. We are the ones who have to offer something we have to God in order to get him to move. How arrogant is that? It's the height 
of hypocrisy and our sinfulness, and it just shows the depth of our depravity. We do not do anything to get God Almighty, our Savior, Lord, the Lord Jesus, to move. He is the one who moves. He is the one who comes down to save us. We don't move up. We don't sacrifice. We don't offer in order that He may move. He moves because He loves us. Because He's a merciful God and despite all of our inadequacies and our and our complete inability to move because after all we are dead that's what saint paul teaches us in in ephesians 2 is that we are dead in trespass and we are unable to move and because of that god moves on our behalf in all things he's the one that moves not us it has nothing to do with us and for perry noble to say that we're the ones who are the initiates of god's action is the height of arrogance. God moves because it's his pleasure to move, not because it's our pleasure to open our hands or give a sacrifice or give our tithe or anything else. God moves at his pleasure and nothing else. And there's always that one group. I call them the hell no, we won't go group. They're in every church. Right? That's their attitude. And one more time, unapologetically, he got up in front of them and he said, You need to get this right. You have not followed God in this area of your life. And it's left you dry. And it's left you desperate. You need to surrender. And the third group came. Yep, this is classic pop evangelicalism. It is up to you to move. If you don't do something then you're going to be dry and desolate and desperate the rest of your life. It has nothing to do with God graciously, sovereignly, in his own power, moving upon your life and bringing you up out of the death that is your sin. It has nothing to do with it. You have got to move. And when, when somebody like Perry Noble unapologetically calls you, to do something. If you don't do it, then you're just going to remain dead. It's your responsibility as a dead person to pull yourself up by your bootstrap. How in the world is that even possible? This is unbelievable. Came forward and poured out their water on the rock. Here, what is the significance of that? It's very simple. Everybody's life would be better if Jesus were at the center. And just like they held water as their source of life in the Middle East 2,500 years ago. In America today, we hold money as our source of life. And there it is. So in order for God to move upon your dead life, you've got to give your money. And this is going to be a huge deal because while Tetzel promise the forgiveness of sins and life through the giving of money. This is exactly what Perry Noble is offering here. If you give your money, then you'll have the life. If you don't, then you'll be dead. And you won't have a life that can be centered around Jesus. You won't have a life where Jesus comes and centers himself around you, which is really what happens. We don't center ourselves around Jesus. Jesus comes around and centers himself 
around us. We don't make a decision for Jesus. Jesus made a decision for us. We do not ask Jesus into our hearts. Jesus asks us into his heart. That's the difference. And praise be to God for it. Because if it depended on me to ask Jesus into my heart, if it depended on me to make the sacrifice or to give my money in order that I may experience the blessing of this, that, and the other thing, I'd be sunk. It can't depend on us. And if it does, we are sunk. And the sad thing is is that a lot of people are going to buy into this and they're going to go try it and they're going to find out that it's a house of cards. That it's a house built on the sand. And what did Jesus say about the house built on the sand? It fell. And great was its fall. And great was its fall. I have an evil plan to save the world for every man. And I think it's better than the way it's being run. Thank you for listening to God Still Speaks Through Jackasses. We hope you hate it. Don't bother sending us any feedback at facebook.com slash God Still Speaks Through Jackasses. Don't contact us at discussion at God Still Speaks Through Jackasses.com. Also, forget about rating and reviewing us on iTunes and Stitchers. I mean, this is the easiest way in the world to spread the gospel. A few clicks and both iTunes and Stitcher recognize us as a quote popular podcast, which we don't want at all. Okay? That's going to just spread the gospel to way too many people, invite more listeners, and all that sort of thing. We don't want any of that. And, yeah, we just can't have any of that. However, I'm afraid we must say, in light of everything that's happened, all third-party material is used under the Fair Use Doctrine, Section 107 of the United States Code. And even though you may have hated every minute of it, thanks again for listening to God Still Speaks Through Jackasses. For all wrong with this world, by evil plan to save the world, just you wait.